Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 17. Today we're launching our first installment of our summer book club. We've been reading chapters 1 through 3 of World Music Pedagogy, volume 2 by Amy Beagle and Christopher Roberts. We'll also share some highs and lows from our summer break, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations for our favorite things in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. Episode, we're going to talk about our high notes and low notes of our summer break. Yay, so summer far. break. Hooray. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some good things and maybe not so good yeah. things. So this is not always, well, it's not specific to the music room at Obviously, all. Because we're not in the music room. No. Which so what is, you got going on, Tanya? Well, uh, my family and I will be departing for Austria and Germany. Yay. In just a few days here. So my big high is uh, just getting ready and planning for that. Um, it's been very exciting just figuring out like when we're going to go to which cities and, and all of these things. But I do have a little low connected to that as well. Okay. That specifically I've been looking at podcasts about traveling to these different cities and we're going to Salzburg. Mm-hmm. I primarily want to go to Salzburg. Well, cause it's Salzburg and a uh, place of Mozart's birth, but also like the sound of music setting and all of that, but all of the music connections, right? Yeah. So a lot of this trip. Um, we're also going to Vienna, and I want to do a lot of composer scene things there as well. Uh-huh. Um, and so while I was looking for these podcasts and downloading a few of them and people talking about, you know, uh, sites to see and expert advice, on more than one podcast, when asked, okay, well, what would you leave out of seeing Salzburg? Uh-huh. A couple of people say, well... I know everybody loves the Mozart stuff, but if you're not into classical music, it's just not worth seeing. Oh. And that's like heartbreaking to me to hear more than one person say, oh, don't bother with the classical music composer stuff. That's very sad. It makes me sad. But whatever. I'm going. I'm doing it. Well, yeah. Yeah. And the kids are going and my husband and they will do it. That's awesome. So it's actually one really big high. I can't complain too much. Just that the perception that composer stuff is boring. You're going to have lots of good Instagram pictures, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yay. Yay. Love it. So what about you? What well, um, we're doing lots of like mini trips this summer. Like Monday, we're going to go on a little camping trip, Dinosaur National Monument or Woo-hoo. Park, whatever you call it, um, which is like between Colorado and Utah on the border. So it's like a six-hour drive. So, you know, that's substantial oh, with yeah. two kids and a car. Mm-hmm. We're going to like tent camp and do the whole thing. So that's exciting. Um, we started off summer um, on a little weekend trip in Chicago. My cousin got married, so we got to hang out in Chicago for the weekend. So that was a high note so far. Um, My low note, I I did a little picture on Facebook of my low note today. Um, My my newish home that we moved to in the beginning of March is, you know, set up in the foothills. And so I'm discovering wildlife. And so, which can be very fun. Yeah, we've seen some rabbits, lots of rabbits and some deer. 
And today there was a giant snake in my backyard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was right when I went outside. I was so sad. It was like, you know, 10 in the morning and it was still nice and cool outside. And I thought, I'm going to go read my world music pedagogy outside on the patio. And I heard this crazy rustling behind the fence. And it was a snake attacking a rabbit. Oh, my God. And from our, our extensive research, you know, five minutes on our phone. That's um, all it takes. We believe <laughs> that it's a gopher snake, which is not venomous. At least that's what we're telling ourselves. Does it matter though when you see the snake? Oh no, it was it was so scary. It was freaking me out. But um was there screaming? Uh, no. Did the was, kids see it? Yes, but they were inside the house when they saw it. Okay. And once we told them it's not poisonous and not a rattlesnake, they were kind of like, "Eh, okay." My daughter was very concerned for the bunny, but Aww. the bunny we believe got away because <laughs> It has to choke the bunny, and I uh-huh. think the bunny was faster. Well, you just keep telling her that. But, the yeah, our it. brush with wildlife today was my summertime low note, and now I feel like every time I'm in the yard, I'm going to be, like, looking around for the snake. Um, maybe so. that's okay. Well, it's good to be aware, but I don't want to be afraid. Well, this is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to be able to sit out and have a fire and s'mores and mm-hmm. not be afraid of snakes. But little barbecued rattlesnake. Thing. Yeah. Or, mm. you know. Well, that was one funny thing my my son said when it was going after the rabbit. He's like, we're having rabbit stew tonight. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know how to make rabbit stew, (laughs) nor would I if I found a poor dead rabbit. But it was very, very interesting reaction. Yeah, that is very interesting. I think my son would provoke it and my daughter would actually both probably try to provoke it. Yeah. They'd probably go after it. No, it was just a big snake. It was like five feet long yeah. so we we looked at it uh, we were inside the house my husband was <laughs> trying right. to get the was low he down, poking at it he wasn't poking at it but he just wanted to know like make sure it wasn't a rattlesnake which you know get close to it to make sure oh it was his, was his <laughs> way of doing that not so smart but um <laughs> i think i'd stand back and like take pictures and enlarge them that's exactly what i did <laughs> so that my little picture on facebook is a very enlarged picture <laughs> yeah. of the snake i i went outside to take the picture but barely and then I went outside later, and I was, like, not feeling it. So I went back inside Ooh. again. I spent a lot of time inside today, but yeah. I'll get over it tomorrow. Yeah. And it's time for our main theme. And today's topic, of course, is the beginning of our Fantastic Summer Book Club 2018, where we are reading World Music Pedagogy Volume 2. And uh, we've both read chapters 1 through 3, and we wanted to kind of talk through those chapters and talk about our our first impressions first. So, first impressions, first um, overall takeaways. What do you got, Carrie? Well, um... I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah. I'll just start off by saying that, like really thoroughly enjoying it. It's, it's, it's a nice, easy read. Like oh, yeah. I'm not feeling too overwhelmed by it. Um, I really enjoy and appreciate how this topic is really broken down kind of in a sequential way. And we'll talk more about that when we get to each chapter. Yeah. But being Kodai-inspired teachers, Tanya, you and I were all about sequencing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, having a very linear way of, of approaching things, which maybe doesn't work for everybody, but it definitely works for me. Well, I wrote down so. several times, like, oh, how very Kodai, yes. you know, like in yeah. the book. Yes. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Um 
It's definitely, I wouldn't say it's making me feel guilty, but it's definitely causing a lot of reflection on my part about, you know, and that's the point, but there always is probably going to be a little unintentional guilt by the reader of, oh, I just don't do enough with this, with world music. And especially I teach in a school that I wouldn't say it's necessarily diverse in the way that it's mostly Hispanic. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we're at like 75 or so percent of our student population is Hispanic, mostly Mexico, but we also have students from Central America and some from South America, lots of Spanish speakers. And um, I definitely have always reflected on the fact that I know I'm not doing enough of, you know, Hispanic, Latino music culture. Like, that's one of my big goals this summer is to to add more. But then just general world music from everywhere. You know, it's just something that I know that I'm lacking in, which is what I'm very excited to be reading this book. Right. Well, and you know, we'll talk more about this when we're talking about chapter one, but I really liked how they included many different approaches to how to choose music and one of them is being culturally responsive. Yes. And that's very Kodai. Oh, yeah. Is the whole idea that you want to start with or that you really want to include a lot of music from the population that you're teaching. Of yeah. course, you know, in the 21st century, that's going to be like a big smorgasbord for a yeah. lot of people. And I think that's what's hard. And especially, you know, having taken my Kodai levels in a very, like, traditional way. And that, like, the bulk of the materials that we collected, that I collected, were mm-hmm. American folk songs. Yeah. And so those are my go-tos when I'm creating my concept plans, when I'm creating my my just general lesson plans my go-tos are american folk songs right because that's what was i was familiar to me first right and i haven't done a great job of adding and changing my well i've added a lot to my folk song collection but when it comes to like my concept plans where you actually plan Mm -hmm. out the songs you're going to use to teach a particular concept i haven't been good about updating those as much as i'd like to well yeah i think we all get that's a hard thing to keep going it is. Uh, in, the midst, in the midst of teaching. Right. And also when you remember that the sequence that we teach of musical concepts comes from the folk song literature. Exactly. And so when you start getting new folk songs, or not new folk songs, but you're getting when you're getting different folk songs that maybe emphasize other concepts. Uh-huh. All of a sudden it throws you for a loop. All of a sudden it throws you for a loop. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's like, well, what do you do? Because, hey, in our district, we say that you teach... So mi la first mm-hmm. instead of do re mi, right? This this yeah. whole so mi la, do re mi thing that keeps going back and forth. Right. It's like in the American folk song repertoire generally, we don't have a lot of so mi la songs, yeah. so should we be doing that, right? right? And um, that's always something that, that comes up when we're talking about this Kodai philosophy in the United States and really how should we be going about that. And then there's some people who have been very active, like John Feyerabend, who have said, no, I'm taking the American folk song literature and here's a new sequence based right. on that, right. which is very understandable. However, um, you know, it's a lot of reworking yeah. all the time. And I feel like with as little as I've done delving into Hispanic folk song literature, there's a lot of fa's and there's a lot of t's mm-hmm. and it's a lot more major scale based than pentatonic. Which then that throws that whole idea into a loop as well right. about, well, if those, I'm not teaching those, you know, conceptually to older grades. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then I know this comes up all the time, but like the Anacrusis. Right. We've got so many yeah. songs that oh, yeah. are very heavy with Anacrusis. Yes. So anyways, um, 
yeah, overall, I'm just really excited about what I've read so far. Feeling a little bit guilty, but trying not to let that overwhelm me. I and just more just like inevitable. embracing like, okay, this is something new. And it's not like it's it's a new idea necessarily, but just the way that it's laid out um, is really I, I like that we're me. reading something that's so detailed on, you know, how to approach it and what to include. Yes. And um, I really... It, I really like how they address some things that are very, very prevalent when you're dealing with introducing kids to unfamiliar music. Like again and again, it comes up about how kids are going to be um, uncomfortable with things yes. that are not familiar and how they're going to maybe laugh and snicker about it and have negative reactions because they're not familiar yeah. with it, right? Yeah. So I really like the emphasis on, okay, well, you can start with... Uh, before they even hear it, start with a question in mind, like direct their listening right. and making sure that you understand that, okay, we don't hear this all the time. And what instrument do you think might be making that sound that you think is, is odd? Right. And I really like all of these suggestions mm -hmm. on how to nip that in the bud. Cause I do know people or I have no music teachers who won't, yeah, you know, wouldn't include certain yeah. musics because of just getting around that whole negative that initial negative reaction and and again it said it getting again and again in the book and and this i've experienced myself is that the more you do the right. more accepting the more open-minded they are about it yeah and it was talking about too like vocal music especially hearing mm -hmm. the different you know vocal tone colors from around the world is really can be jarring for kids as well and that in particular makes them laugh so exactly you know maybe instead of doing an example that has vocal music just focusing on something instrumental until they they get their you know their feet wet with this yeah whole and idea. i thought it was really interesting how they mentioned the bulgarian uh vocal women's yeah. part and it kind of took me back because um i listened to a lot of bulgarian the bulgarian women's choir the television choir that made a, a few recordings uh-huh here's my all things lead back to pop music for me because like Kate Bush included, and she's a, a, how shall I say, back in the 80s, Kate Bush was like a, a songstress, like pop musician. Uh-huh. And she used them in, she's a Bulgarian women's choir, a TV women's choir, uh, as backup singers oh. on a few of her songs, which is what led me to the Bulgarian women's choir. And then they came to my college, and I got to, like, see a concert. So I remember in my early days of teaching, including, like, just some listening and the reactions I got from that. Yeah. Was like, I thought, how cool uh, silly is this? me. Yeah. I thought they'd be like, oh, this is awesome. And they were like, what? What? And is then they this? just laugh and, yeah. and giggle. And, and then, then you, get you take frustrated. it personally. Exactly. Or yeah. you take it personally on behalf of the culture. Like, exactly. like <laughs> it's your culture to be so upset about. But yeah, I, we all have those great intentions that you want to just expand our kids' minds, you mm -hmm. know, and, and open their eyes and their ears to this world of music, and it's going to go so perfectly, but it doesn't always. Right. So, I, yeah, there's a lot of steps, proactive things we can do that I yes. appreciate. And, and yeah, and it's important to not, like like we always say about, oh, everything that happens in the room, It you can't take it personally. Yeah. And that's very, music is very personal, and especially if you've, grown a relationship to a certain type of music mm -hmm. and it's something that's really meaningful to you when you put it out to the rest of the world even if it's just your classroom of kids yeah and they react negatively you know you have to remember that kids if kids it's not kids. familiar <laughs> and it's not just kids like adults too oh, if yeah. you like present anyone with something something unfamiliar is is threatening yeah right because it's like i've never heard of that that's so different 
I don't like it like right. immediately. Right. And I have to use this quote because when I first heard it, I loved it so much. There's a, a quote, an old quote that goes, familiarity breeds contempt. Oh. But then I heard an updated quote years, of, years ago by Anna Quindlin saying, familiarity breeds content. Yeah. Which I think is like over and over again, they say repeated listenings yeah. of the music. And that is totally true because if the kids hear it over and over again, then, um, you know, they get more comfortable with it. They begin to like really get excited by it. And that's really the key for them to be positive about it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd like to break it down a little bit, chapter by chapter. Yes. Just kind of talk about the brief um, gist of each chapter and a couple of things that stuck out to us. Even though, the, especially the first chapter is so very dense, we just can't. It is, and really, the everything. first chapter just kind of gives an overview for the reader of what to expect exactly. throughout the book, um, how it's going to be broken down. Talks about the five. Uh, dimensions or phases of world music pedagogy, mm -hmm. um, attentive listening, engaged listening, and active listening, creating world music, and integrating world music. And it also connects to um, cultural responsive teaching, yes. I, that that's one route that you can go when choosing musics. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think both of us really gravitated towards the section of this chapter that talked about um, integrating this idea into existing philosophies uh, such yes, as and ORF and Kodai. And I thought so that then, was great that they right up front discussed that. Yeah. Got that out of the way. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because Carrie and I are looking through our books and we were both highlighting stuff and we both highlighted like almost the exact same of thing. Of course we did. Yeah. So Carrie, you want to read this bit? You, sure. You should read it because I love it. Yeah. So um, on page 14, the quote that we both highlighted in, in reference to Kodai and integrating, you know, world music into a traditional Kodai curriculum or sequence. Um, the book says, were he alive today, many believe that Kodai's view of best music, quote unquote, would include the wide variety of musical traditions that can be found within each country as well as throughout the world. Yes. And this is something um, as a Kodai level one pedagogy teacher that comes up every summer during levels is that, you know, students, adult students will ask, well, why are we regulating ourselves to, you know, the music of the mother tongue? Isn't that very, uh, it's not very inclusive of the world. And right. I always say, okay, Kodai was not alive in the 21st century. He was not alive to see the, the big um, globalization right. of our world. And were he alive today, I don't say it as eloquently as it's said here, but that if Kodai was alive today, he would surely recognize that we have so much more contributing to what we think of as our mother tongue. Right. Well, and so much of what Kodai was reacting to is what was happening specifically right. in Hungary, which and, was yes. just the lack of knowledge of, of Hungarian Yeah, and Kodai music. was a big nationalist, exactly. and he knew how important it was for Hungarian children, Hungarian um, citizens to know Hungarian songs. Right. But Kodai also, you know, even towards the end of his life, I mean, he came to America and recognized that America is and still is this melting pot, you know, society. And we we do need to embrace it. Yes, there's American folk music, but then, you know, so many people come from so many places. Right. And we need to recognize that as well, that culture, culturally responsive piece exactly. is really important. Yeah. And I just loved, I loved that part. Of yeah. It. Um, oh, and then about choosing a musical culture. I thought this was very interesting. Um, the many ways that you can select a culture 
Yeah. Based on um, the knowledge of the teacher, the student skills, a desire to integrate with the child's general class or with current events, which I found really interesting. Yeah. Um, or a culturally responsive curriculum design that recognizes the cultures of children in the class and or those of marginalized people. So I thought I wanted to pick out that part of um, integrating with current events because yeah. they brought up, you know, if something, um, uh, let's say, a tsunami is yeah. happening somewhere you can focus in on that culture and my thoughts around that was like well you better move fast i mean you better like right. get yourself as the teacher you better get educated about that particular culture because right. i think about the world music that i have pulled into my classroom and it has been stuff that i'm already listening familiar to with. and i'm already really familiar with yeah. so i've done some african drumming myself and some african dance so that I'm a more comfortable with yeah. than say bringing in you know some traditional um, Indian right. raga music. Right. Yeah, so. you got to be ready. But at the same time, we have so much at our fingertips with with technology. Yeah. With the world. Being, so you can move you quick. Know, you can move quick, whereas opposed to 20 years ago, you know that might have been a little bit well, maybe farther than that. How long has the internet been around? Longer than 20 years ago. Yeah, Let's but, go with 30 but, years ago. Yeah, but, but yeah, still. It's so much faster now. We have so much. I mean, with YouTube. AOL and, wasn't having a lot of stuff on Indian Ragas. There wasn't a lot ragas. going on. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I guess we could say 20 years pretty yeah. safely. That now it's, it is easy. The hard part is sifting through and finding what's authentic. Right. Which leads me to something that really stuck out in this chapter as well is talking about authenticity and, you know, just kind of this fear that I know I've had, and I know other music educators probably do as well, about bringing in world music that I personally am not as familiar with because I feel like if I'm not going to do a very authentic job at it, whether it's because of the language or mm -hmm. the vocal styling or the instrumental techniques, if I can't necessarily be authentic, then maybe I just shouldn't do it. Like that feeling of, sure. you know, I don't want to present something to the kids that's just very surfacey. I want to make sure it's done well. Right. So then therefore, maybe I just don't do it at all. Well, you all. want to bring in, like they say, a culture bearer. Exactly. And that might have to be someone via a YouTube video, yeah. for example. Yeah. But it's important in keeping in, in thinking about that whole idea is that Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It, that if you um, know that there's a recording done by, um, I don't know, like like a pop group of a Japanese song, yeah. you're not going to use exactly. that pop group. Yeah. You're going to go find, you know, the original yeah. or a original um, recording that was done by someone from that culture. Right. Right, and because we do have access to so much online, and they, in the book, throughout the book, give lots of great resources as well. It's just, it's comforting to know that it, I shouldn't be so afraid of that. Right. It's maybe I might have been But you know, past. another thing as elementary music teachers, you have to be careful because there is a bunch of stuff out there oh, yeah. that is not authentic, 
and I don't know if I should name drop, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> I might be Go for in it, trouble Diana. here, but okay. I think about the rhythmically moving series. Yeah. All right. So we have all of these great um, folk dances and movement things with, and I'm sure you're familiar with the rhythmically moving. They used to be the blue re record covers with the yeah. red numbers. I, what does it go to like 13 or 14 volumes? Do something like that. Yeah. Anyway, and but and they're a wonderful resource. However, all the music is pretty homogenized. Yeah, it is. So like if you want to do pata pata, yeah. right? Are you going to use the recording that frankly sounds like elevator music? It does. Right? Yeah. Are you going to use the real South African right. pata pata recorded by, oh, right, uh, Miriam. Oh, my gosh. I can't remember her last name. I'll put a link in the show notes. In the show notes, but <laughs> so you know, this is a. It a, takes a little extra digging, right? But it's 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 we need to. That's right. our job. <laughs> exactly. So you want to avoid using, you know, the music version yeah. of whatever it is, and try to hunt down. And so I will say, in light of that, like Sana Longden, her yeah. dance material, she really does yes. have the authentic recordings. Yeah. Um, of whatever dance it is and you can hear the record pops on yeah. there too which yeah. is kind of fun but um yeah that's an important thing but whenever possible if you have a real live person who oh, can yeah. come in but that's another that's another thing that um makes me feel a little stressed and uh guilty is that like oh my gosh what opportunities have I missed as yes. far as like bringing people in? Yes. And how much more time and energy is it going to take for me to try to do that? But yeah, I mean, it's worth doing. I had um, a family at the school I taught at previously, and I was doing a, a little unit and program on Native American music. And mm -hmm. we did a little program and um, we had some folk tales that this, that the children acted out. Well, one, one of my kiddos, um, his family is very much involved in their culture, their Native American culture, and I feel horrible that I don't remember what tribe at this time. But um, I talked to the mom and I said, look, I want to make sure I'm doing something that's appropriate and that's authentic. And so she came in and met with me and I kind of went over some of the songs. And I was honest with her that, like, for example, the kids are going to be singing the canoe song. You know, mm -hmm. my battle's skin. And that's right. a composed song. And I, and I told, and I tell the children that, and I told her that, that I was very clear with the children that, you know, this is a composed song, but it's composed in the style of Native American traditional music, and here's why. Um, and she was like, oh, no, I think that's great. And, you know, obviously this is just one person's opinion. She mm -hmm. can't speak on behalf of the entire Native American culture. Sure. But what she did do at the beginning of the program was she sang and played drums as the students came in during the program so I was really excited to have that culture bearer piece yeah and the kids loved it and the, the audience loved it and um it was really special for that family and I and I thought I gotta do more of this yeah but it does take time yes yeah I had a dad come in who is very involved in um in piping he's a he's a bagpiper and yeah. he does um he's not 100 percent you know, uh, Scottish or Irish, but he, he has, he's grown up with it and, and he has some heritage and he came in and did a couple of assemblies and played for the kids, but I didn't have the kids involved. I mean, beyond being passive listeners. Right. right? And that's something, maybe an opportunity. Actually, we tried to get a um, after school piping group started because yeah. he was willing to come in and teach which was a fantastic thing. And he even had some beginning um, 
pipe sets that he was going oh, cool. to have us use. And I couldn't get kids in. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, was that my lack of exposing them to that so that they could get excited about it? Or uh, I'm not Who sure knows? where the breakdown is because, you know, it's it's often hard to tell Yeah. why kids won't go for something more right. initially. Because they had a very positive reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It hmm. is. So, yeah, chapter one just basically breaks down, you know, what, what the rest of the book's going to be, gives an introduction to, you know, how to go about this whole approach to, to world music pedagogy. Right. Um, I'm also looking at the part, and I couldn't agree more, with the authenticity of transmission. Yeah. And um, when I've done any kind of African drumming type stuff with kids, and of course I am not an, a culture bearer. I've just had, you know, some experiences with that. But when I've done that kind of thing with kids, I don't write it out for them. Right. Right? So I use the oral method that I was taught. Yeah. And I think that's really important for the kids to know and understand that much of the music that is transmitted all over the world is not read and written down or not in the way that we're not in that Western notation way. Right. So I really appreciated that because I have seen from time to time sample lessons where people will write out these really excruciating rhythms, you know, yeah. excruciating to read. Right. And it kind of defeats the purpose of playing a rhythm from Ghana, for example. It's it like does. You need to feel it. You need to experience it. You right. need to. Which then, of course, creates a whole conundrum for those of us who are, you know, Kodai-inspired educators, and music literacy is such an important piece of what we do. And we can talk about this later, too, about the time, finding the time to, to do these things, because they are so important, mm -hmm. but there are so many things that are so important. So, you know, if we want our, our students to be musically literate and we're, we're spending a lot of our, our, our lesson time doing that, mm -hmm. how do we also bring in all those opportunities for just things to be done orally. Right. Well, and, and this kind of does challenge what is music literacy, right? Uh -huh. Because most Kodai-inspired teachers would say that to be musically literate, one must be able to, and I'm quoting Fire Robin here, I know, um, sing tunes, notate tunes, read tunes, improvise tunes, compose tunes. Yeah. You know, so... When you're when you're thinking of it from that perspective, someone in another country who is very fluent playing their music and improvising, who can't notate it or doesn't notate it, yeah, at all, or you know maybe to just a, a limited degree, what do we call that person musically Ill illiterate? Right. It's just yeah, it's a different. It's way just of a different it. way of looking at it, right? right? So yeah, we need to. Maybe not look, think about it in such a black and white way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving on to chapter two. What are you thinking, Tanya? <laughs> putting you on the spot. Okay. Putting me on the spot. Oh, um, you know what? Before we talk about chapter two. Oh, yeah. Uh, just a little aside because I know you and I have already talked about this. But at the end of chapter one, when they talk about how to read this volume, that you could choose to read it in a different order. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That kind of rocked my world. Like, I... I don't know. I was kind of like, no, I'm going to read this. <laughs> we're going to read it the way you the wrote way it. the way it's presented. Thank you very much. But I appreciate it. Because we're not rule breakers, you and I, Tanya. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, I was just like, hey, just 
thank you for giving it to me the way you gave it to me. That that works for me, yeah. being brand new to all of these very specific phases. Right. Um, yeah, I'm good with reading it in the way that it is presented. Yeah. Oh, and another thing I will say that once we start getting into the episodes, like what did slow my reading down was that I stopped and listened every piece. Right. Right. So there is a fantastic... Um, electronic resource electronic resource <laughs> that you can download that gives you the links to the smithsonian uh recordings right of these pieces which is really important because once you start reading about like how you're going to approach introducing a specific piece you got to hear it right you got to see it but then you that. have it right there ready to go to use in your own classroom too yeah i great. know but the only issue and this is just well i don't know if it's just me but I'm sure others have this issue where you start listening to something and then you look at the links and you go, oh, yeah. Well, so then you going this down episode 2.6, yes, the Iraq and Lebanon um, talkism on the Oud uh, Andalusian style, mm -hmm. right? So this um, musician, Rahim Al-Hajj, Al as I was listening to him, I noticed that he did a Tiny Desk concert at NPR. Oh, And yeah. I'm all about the Tiny Desk NPR concert. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to hear that. Now I have to listen to that. Yeah, and it's, it was, it's fantastic. Right. Um, and that, that goes for like 15 minutes. So, yeah. yeah, it just took me a little while. Because but this is why we're doing this in the summer. Exactly. <laughs> so no, but it, it's time. exciting because it got me excited about, like, these potential, um, you know, musics that, that you can introduce to kids because that's really what it's all about is getting them excited too yeah, about it. Absolutely. So I love all of these episodes and all of these examples given in these specific recommendations because I mean, that's a wonderful starting place. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I had a, a moment with, with all of that, with all the listening, but then breaking things down where we're talking about attentive listening for cultural awakenings. And we're mm -hmm. talking about, introducing kids and the first listening that they get um and i really appreciated how to direct kids learning and yes. we, we kind of touched on that before and right. using questions to guide them um anyway some just great suggestions on how to focus their listening mm -hmm. and how to make sure that they have a positive experience and you know how you want to take. I want to take into consideration the tempo of the piece. That kids mm -hmm. are going to be more interested in things that are more fast tempoed. And although kids are really, um, really, uh, they find vocals appealing. That that's not necessarily where you want to start with. Right. You know. Yeah, I appreciate the focus on you know the importance of different types of questions. So not only do you want to ask those simple, what instruments do you think you're hearing, um, what language do you think this is, but also some open-ended questions like you know what do the do you think the performers are feeling? Yeah. You know. Or what that might don't, be happening? Yeah, things that don't necessarily point. have a right or wrong answer that you can really allow students to to bring their own experiences into it as well. I just I thought that was really important to remember that to ask questions that are a little bit more open-ended right oh and then um also i'm looking at where when thinking about how to introduce a piece thinking like a child and i i do this a lot where i go okay my students when they first hear this how are they go what are they first going to latch on to because they talk about how if you want to focus them on a listening piece but there's something that is really foreign to them mm-hmm that that's where they're going to go. Yeah. And you got to be aware of that and, and 
you know, direct their listening yeah. in a way that either capitalizes on that or um, directs them somewhere else. Right. But probably you want to capitalize on that because they're going to pick it out. Right. And I remember I, I have had times in the past where I have had kids listen to a piece and they focus on what I think is the wrong thing. Right. 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 And then in retrospect, you go, well, of course, they probably never heard Tuvan throat singing. Yeah. Right. So yeah. they're going to focus on, you know, how it sounds when the, the pitch goes lower and they get that gravelly, that gravelly tone. Yeah. Um, something that I found comforting in this chapter, it, because it all comes back when I was reading this, like I've said, like the time, finding the time to do to do all this wonderful work. And it's talked about when you're doing this phase of the attentive listening, that the, the excerpts should last between 30 to 60 seconds. Ah, uh, yeah. And I thought, is that long enough? But at the, at the same time, if you listen to a little snippet, ask a question, talk about it, listen to it again, they're talking about listening to shorter snippets, but listening to them a repeated amount of times. Right. And I think that part is really important. And that gave me some comfort as far as, you know, it makes it more doable. Yeah, I, I read that and I thought, okay, well, that makes things easier. But it also kind of freaked me out because I always want to hear more. Yeah. But that's me. Well, and um, I think you do when we get to the next phases of this, you know, where the students are actually participating along with. Oh, Tanya's getting a oh phone my call. Um, <laughs> when you are listening to the music and actually doing some active participation along with it of course then you're going to be playing it longer because the kids are going to be doing stuff right. but just in this introductory you know just getting them to hear it it was just a good reminder that you know even for older students to not go on too long right and i've not done this like in that short of a snippet yeah like 30 seconds and i'm wondering if after you've after the kids have heard it like five or six times i'm wondering if they get antsy and they ask to hear more I'm, I bet they would. I mean, and maybe some pieces more than others. You know, again, it probably depends on are you choosing repertoire that's really resonating with them, that mm -hmm. has the quick tempo, has, you know, the interesting things that kind of perk up in their ears or, yeah. And it's going to be different for some kids are going to like it and some kids aren't in that way. But right, it'll be interesting but to see. But familiarity breeds content. So there you, you just go. keep on listening and, and giving them more things to listen for. Yeah. Okay. So then... Okay, visual responses. Oh, yes. and I loved that. Being Kodai, you yes. know, I loved all the responses that you can collect, and I really liked this whole touching on oral responding to yes. it and visually responding to it with kids and kinesthetic responses. That was, again, where I wrote in the margins, like, so Kodai. So very Kodai. Yes. Yeah, to have, make sure that you're not just doing things in the one way all the time. Mm -hmm. and not just doing things in the way that's most comfortable to you as a teacher. You need to make sure that you're allowing your students to respond in different learning modalities. Exactly. And also um, responding not just with a group conversation, but that mm -hmm. whole think, pair, and share. Right. Um, and, and having kids discuss that. But yeah. then they talk about the pitfalls of that because they sure. might have trouble. It's funny because when I read this, I did some PD just this past Monday, which is like, what, three days ago? And we were doing a think-pair-share activity. Um, and I had trouble. I was talking to this other teacher. He's new to the district. And I had trouble, like, 
breaking away from the conversation because we had started talking more and more yes. about the subject at hand. And it was like, oh my gosh, we're not done yet. Can we have more time? Yeah, I mean, we couldn't. Yeah. But uh, Or I've been in the situation with adults where you're doing the think, fair, share in a professional development and you totally get off topic and you start talking about, oh, I had the best salad for lunch the <laughs> other day. And then it's just so easy to know, like, oh, the kids are going to do that too. Well, so you yeah. do have to that be careful. That might be a sign of a bad PD though. That's true. Yeah. Um, like, I'm not going to tell you about that, about that, but I'll tell you about my salad. No, but I think we <laughs> see that. At least I've seen that with my kids is that maybe if I give them too much time or something, you know, they start to talk about other things. So you just right. have to monitor it. That's all. Right. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, and then there's some specific episodes and some specific yes. pieces. that I listened to the didgeridoo piece and. The, the trouble is it's such a short amount of time that we, you hear on the 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 links yeah that I'm like is how long was that I don't was it even 30 seconds that we hear I didn't the listen to that one yet so I'm not sure yeah not that didgeridoo I need repeated listenings because yeah. that's not something that always like compels me to want to hear more right and that's just that's a personal preference then thing. There you go. That that's that kind of answers the question of what listening. the kids will do too, right? Exactly. Yeah, and it again talks about you know the normal reaction of kids that you know if they are going to giggle or laugh, you know to uh, I, I highlighted this. If children laugh at an excerpt, one approach could be to acknowledge that the music is different and then ask them to articulate the musical reasons that the music sounded funny to Oh my them. gosh, I highlighted the you highlighted exact that. Well, same because thing. that is so important and I think it will curb because let's be honest, <laughs> we will have some kids who will just snicker just for the sake of snickering too. I mean, there are kids who, yeah, I, I, I get the, the concept that it's not familiar to them and so they're going to giggle, but there's also kids who snicker at everything, you know, because they're just kids who struggle with, mm -hmm. with showing respect in general, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking of those kids that I, if I can say to them, okay, well, tell me specifically <laughs> what in the music is, are you finding funny or what what's different or, you know, I think that will curb some of that because they're going to realize, oh, I have to actually articulate what it is that I'm feeling. You know, I'm thinking for older students especially, mm -hmm. you know, that might curb some of that. Yeah. Well, and then I also highlighted recognizing that the resistance is natural can be an essential part of the process of leading them towards acceptance of something unfamiliar. Yeah. And so I thought along those lines, how it was brought up earlier that you want to think from the child's point of view. Mm -hmm. I think it might be an interesting experiment to kind of um, play, you know, short. I mean, this would be a very short activity, but like, let's listen to something that is a, a big hit right now on our radio. And I want you to listen as though you are not like an American citizen. Right. From this, like, think about, I don't know if they could even do that, though. You know? It would be really hard. I think it would be hard for adults to do that, yeah. you know, because that's the whole point of music and our culture is that it's so ingrained in us from an yeah. early age that, you know, and and we listen to a lot of, you know, what we heard growing up as kids. Sure. You know? and But isn't that one of the things that we're working towards is acceptance of other cultures? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And understanding from another person's point of view. Yeah. So. Yeah, that would be just an interesting thing to, to try with the kids. But you're right. It'd probably, it'd probably be a really big stretch. That would be hard. Yeah. But interesting. 
So shall we move on to chapter three? I mean, there's so much, but yeah, there is so much. We also want people to make sure we want you to read the book. We don't yeah. want to give it all away. So chapter three is, I think, where I started to get the most excited because this is where the students are actually participating, participatory right. mu musicking, which exactly. I just love that term musicking. It's yeah, such yeah. Such a lovely thing. Um, so this is where, you know, we yeah. go, we switch from the mode of the students just listening and, you know, listening for very specific things, but now they're actually doing something along with the music. And it's broken down into two different phases. So you have active uh, participation where they are listening and doing something at the same time. So right. they're doing something along with the recording versus inactive listening where this is where you turn the recording off and the kids take over and they're actually well more... sometimes they're performing with the recording right and well it goes back and forth yeah. um and that's that must be a very challenging stage to get and to that's I think, on the music. Yeah. where all of a sudden i went oh my gosh i've never i can't imagine necessarily taking it to that level yet but i i see where if you do these activities a lot and kids become more familiar with it it's possible. And I suppose I have to a point. I mean, you know, in a, in a performance kind of way, if we've learned a, a specific folk song from any culture, and then now the students are performing it on their own, it's the same kind of idea. Yeah, it takes a lot of work to get there, though. It that's, does. That's the time piece that, that makes me a little bit like, how do you work that in? Yeah. I mean, and and that's, that's something we're going to keep saying over and over again. Right. It's like, how, how do you work it in? Well, and... To, to the level of authenticity that you want. Right. That's the thing. And, and it talks a lot about the, the students being reflective of that, that they perform something and then you go back and you listen to the original recording and say, okay, did we do this correctly? What about our pronunciation? What about our, mm -hmm. our rhythmic accuracy? Or whatever it is you want them to focus on and you have them really self-assess how authentic they were. And I think that's a really cool step. But, wow, that's going to take a very discriminatory ear I can't say that word Discri discriminatory thank you <laughs> discriminatory ear to get them to that point where they they're really hearing those things right and then you always want to be appropriate to not just their musical development but their own I mean I'm thinking about singing for example right like vocally and I don't know if this will come up but you want to be you want to be responsive you want to be um respectful of like their vocal development yeah. and their vocal like it didn't talk about that specifically no, it didn't. in this but chapter but maybe that, that'll happen it come might up. happen later yeah. my kids are not going to sing like the bulgarian women's choir right and i think that's where it goes back to it talks a lot in this chapter about not just the musical selection but then now the selection of activities that you do right and how you can be very thoughtful you know start with really brainstorming quite here's everything we could possibly do with right. this recording and that was great and to then see that here's list. how i'm kind of going to rank so so if you are doing something with Bulgarian Women's Choir, you're not going to rank the kids singing along as your number well, one Well, and then thing. maybe that's one of the musical selections that you do not take to, to that level. the inactive listening. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I really love how they broke down, you know, all the different things. And this is where I started to feel a little bit like, oh, okay, I do some of this stuff. You mm -hmm. know, like when you listen to a piece of music and you have them, you know, solfege hand sign a particular melody that you've extracted from that. Right. Or, you know, clap along a particular rhythm or just do something with steady beat. I mean, we do that all the time, right? right? Have or emphasizing move, the, play. the meter or, you right. know. 
form or any of those things. Right. And then, but something that came to mind as I was looking at all of these different things that you can do is that, I don't know if it matters. I'm not sure. Is it culturally appropriate to say conduct? Well, maybe not. So there you go. You know, a, a piece where that would never be part of it organically or part of it Something in that culture. Something that's not going to be conducted. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because when I've done drumming circles with kids, I've talked a lot about that too. Like you've uh -huh. talked about the, the oral piece and then I talk a lot with the kids about the ensemble piece, you know, that I'm not going to conduct you. Uh -huh. You know, I might help get you started, you know, or there will be a drum leader of some sort. But right. yeah, so it wouldn't be necessarily appropriate to conduct along with, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so I mean... I know a lot of those things are to just to get them engaged, like initially. Right. Right. But like if I'm playing um, a, a West African drum piece uh, with the kids, I'm not going to like, you know, cue them conducting wise. You know, right. You hear the lead djembe player play an intro and then the, the group comes in like, I don't know. But on that end, would it be culturally appropriate to listen to... I don't know, a, a classical, a Western classical piece and bounce tennis balls to the steady beat. But these are things that we do. You know what I mean? That's true. Like, yeah. But these are things we do to engage the children in the music. Right. So, yeah, maybe not to be too hard on ourselves about those kind of things. Yeah. No, I was just, you know, thinking about like, okay, if, if West Africans could see us, if, if people, if the culture bearers of this particular music could see us they doing like, this what now. What are they doing like, with their arms? <laughs> are they flapping like birds? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, you didn't take, okay. When you go to the Colorado Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. Um, and for their, their field, field trip concert. Right. Something that happened in this latest one that was very interesting was they were talking, the, the conductor who the maestro who was also our um mc yes was talking about in beethoven's time when a piece was performed people would be eating in the hall they would be like talking it would be right. like really raucous like right and he said let's explore that and see what that's like right and he says i want you to turn and talk to your neighbor and we're gonna ah. play and i can't tell you how uncomfortable it made me yeah which was really interesting. Right. But like my react, my just like. Because it goes against everything we've taught our students Exactly. Too, and but... everything that I'm like, when I go to a concert myself. Yeah. You know, I, that's, I, you don't clap between the. The movements. Movements. Yes. You don't talk. You don't. It, anyway, it's a very interesting thing to explore. But these things are ever evolving. Sure. Anyway, because we do have the tennis balls going on with. Right our meter yeah. in these pieces. I think it's a fine line, and, and, and I think it all comes back to, you know, making sure your students know at the end what is culturally appropriate. Right. That in music class, we might bounce tennis balls along with this piece, but we're not going to do that in the concert hall. Right. You know, teaching them the social, the things that are social about it. Right. And this well. is like back to audience behavior. Exactly. If, or whatever yeah. the music asks for. So, yeah, I mean, I... I found a lot of comfort in that, that these are a lot of things that I'm doing already, um, but just to take it to the next level and to really be more conscious about the expanding culturally the pieces that I am having students move to, sing to, play along to, mm -hmm. and making sure that I'm, I'm really trying to hit lots of different cultures, not yes. just the same old, same old. Yeah. Um, another place where I wrote in the margins... 
where was it? Where I said so very Kodai. Oh, the little um at the very beginning. Oh, are we we're talking about chapter three, right? We're in chapter three. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the example given at the at the beginning of chapter three about Mrs. Andrews' third grade music class finishes up singing Weevilly Wheat, and now they are using the recording of El Carnival de de mi tierra. Mm-hmm. Um, and how she's bringing them through learning the Spanish. And she says, I don't speak Spanish. Can someone pronounce the words for me and tell us what it means? And bringing in those students yeah. from, for who I, it is. I highlighted just that I sentence. highlighted that too. <laughs> All right. And I also wrote, so very Kodai yeah. is like making sure that those kids who are your culture bearers. Yes. Honoring them. Honoring them and, yes. and having them, you know participate in that way in leading others and and that's such such an awesome thing it's a lovely thing yeah the other thing that's obviously stuck out that was so very kodai was talking about singing games and having uh you know and this is where i kind of raised my eyebrow a little bit about you know in our kodai world we're traditionally always taught to do these singing games acapella that the children should be singing and the teacher should not be singing and i and i totally get that but it talked about having the children playing the singing game along with the recording and i yeah, thought that's that a very a different bit... approach but i also see the value in that if it's you know of a different culture and you want them to be hearing it along with doing it it's that that combination of i want them to be hearing the authentic instruments if it's accompanied or I want them to be hearing the authentic singing voices and especially if it's a language issue because that can be challenging oh yeah but I thought you know maybe we do in that way need to give ourselves a break us in the Kodai world who you know are always hounding the acapella you know uh, kids alone singing singing and playing the game and not accompanying them and you know and yeah. this, especially in this approach, it totally makes sense. Yeah, and there's been a few times where I have brought in a recording for a singing game. I'm thinking specifically of um, the Amazons. Sure. I was going to Kentucky because they have that lovely recording. Yeah. Um, oh well, in Alabama, gal, I do that very often with the recording. Exactly, because well, so you've got to hear all of the instrumentation. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah, I can totally jive with that. I appreciated that. But yeah, then when it got into this whole idea of the the engaged listening and having the students take it on their own, that's when I started to feel like, oh my, this is this is a world that I haven't gone yeah, into. Yeah, I need more. I would need some um, more training and, and mm-hmm. practice with that specifically because that's where I'd be really uncomfortable and like how to make that fly. Right. Authentically. Right. And I do appreciate that it talked about that some some experiences will not be musically satisfying. Like if it was. You know, if you were just having students pat the beat along to a piece, you obviously wouldn't turn off the piece and just have them pat the beat. You know, I mean, that's right. an obvious example. Yes. But, you know, if, if it's something that the students are not musically capable of, like playing a difficult instrument passage or singing something in a very difficult language. But then they give, like, examples of what you can do, like play the skeleton of the melody. Exactly, or... which I appreciated, too. And yeah. I'm looking at this list of activities for El Carnival de de mi tierra Mm -hmm. and i love how the rationale so here's the activity here's the rationale for the activity and on one of them say the rhythm pattern of the shaker ostinato with the rationale is fun it is fun (laughs) that's a great rationale it is um but that's you know i have never approached it that way with making a list of activities that you can do with like a piece right yeah, and then ranking them, then stepping back from that list and saying, okay, which makes the most sense musically, which makes the most sense with the ability of the students, 
that I have? Right. What are they going to be able to do successfully? Um, what's worth my time? You know, exactly. in teaching them, well, is it worth my time to teach them this very long song in a foreign language? You know, when there's so many other things to be doing. Right, and obviously the whole point is that I I have never been as thoughtful and deliberate. Yes. And had a process. Of I mean, the stuff that I've used for world music honestly has been connected to social studies units that the students have done, or frankly, my personal interests. Yeah. You know, like oh, I just love these. Brazilian pop songs like right. from the 70s and I'm going to play them in school and I'll figure out a, a way to do it, right? Yeah. And I just do it, you know, a little more passively where we are just keeping a beat or playing a rhythm. I, I mean, that's not passive, but, you know, I haven't taken it very far. Right. I just, my, my main gist was just to have the kids get exposure, but not for them to really go that extra step and, you know, perform it or... Yeah at all right. I mean, maybe some with the recording and I'll be really interested to see as we go along when we're talking about improvising mm -hmm. yeah that yeah and not just improvising but improvising, but improvising in the, in in the, the style, style of, of yeah yeah and composing in the style of yeah, yeah. I that, mean they're kind of have to have a lot of experience with it to really be able to own it at that level yeah it's yeah that will be an interesting thing to read about yeah Something we should mention yes. before we stop talking about this for now is, and, is yeah. the training course. There is a Smith, Smithsonian Folkways certificate course in world music pedagogy um, that runs in June in Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Christopher Roberts is on the teaching faculty. Yes. Um, and as this is, is Patricia they Campbell. Do every year, correct? Yes. They've so, been doing it for a while now. And it's just, I, I wish. My kids were older and I had a lot of money because right. I would do it. Yeah. That, yeah, to have those authentic experiences yourself as exactly. a teacher. Exactly. It would be so, so exciting. Yeah. And it looks like they have several um, several teachers who are culture bearers yes. from their uh, chosen area. or And, oh, it just looks like such a wonderful time. And I've, if you look at the pictures, if you, oh, we should put it in our show notes. I was going to say, we we'll link to it in our show notes. Definitely check it out, even if it's something that you're obviously not going to be able to just sign up right. for, for, you know, two weeks from now or whatever you're listening to this. But, um, you know, to look into the for the future, it looks really exciting. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Someday. We've come to our coda section where we will talk about something we've been enjoying in or out of the classroom. And since we're out of the classroom, I'm assuming this is all going to be like fun, fun, fun. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So do you want to tell me about yours? Sure. Well, I'm going to do something a little different because it's not something I've been enjoying. It's something I'm going to be enjoying. I haven't yeah. listened to it yet, but I'm really excited that there has been a new episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. The NPR news quiz yes, which um, is podcast. Well, it's, so it's much in fun. podcast form as well as the show. But anyways, there's a Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Junior episode that has just come out. And I'm so excited because my son enjoys listening to I know. Wait, Wait, Mine Don't does Tell too. Me. And I know he doesn't even understand half of the things, but he laughs. And some of the things he does truly get. Some of it's, you know, slightly not always appropriate. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a little above him. He's nine. So, um... When I told him there's a wait, wait, 
Don't Tell Me Junior, he got so excited, and they just released it just this week on Saturday. And their special guest is Neil Patrick Harris, who I just adore. Oh, my. Yes. Yes. So it's like all the things that I love put together. So I haven't listened to it yet, so I'm putting a lot of stock in this being good that I'm recommending it before I've even listened to it. But how could could it be bad? Exactly. My kids love Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. I mean, everyone does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just really excited to listen to it with my son. He's going to love it. And Yay. so will I, I hope. Okay. All right. How about you, Tanya? Okay. Um, bear with me. I, I will not get rambly, I swear. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we're going to Germany. Yes. And one of the things I was telling my husband today, like, we'll be in Berlin for a number of days. And I don't know. Um, I mean, we are definitely going to be seeing, um, you know, the World War II Memorial. We are definitely going to be seeing where the wall was. And I said, okay, beyond that, I told my husband, I don't really care. Like, if you have things that you really want us to see, I'm I'm going to go for anything that you want to do, but I have to go on the David Bowie walking tour. Oh, like, I didn't know there was one. Oh, yeah. David oh. Bowie spent um, years, a few years, okay. in Berlin. Well, yeah. Okay. A, a, as did Iggy Pop. Right. David Bowie recorded, like, three albums there. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't know that like the such Berlin a tour trilogy. would exist, but interesting. Yeah, there's like a walking tour okay. of like places that David Bowie like where he had an apartment and where he recorded and yeah, yeah. So I know, color me geeky, but <laughs> so but my recommendation is not uh, David Bowie, exactly. It's actually Glenn Hansard. So a couple when David Bowie died a couple of years ago, um, it. It hit me really hard. I know it hit a lot of people really hard. But one thing that popped up uh, as a result is Glenn Hansard, who is this Irish rock and roller, um, you know, well-known in Ireland. He was in the movie The Commitments. He wrote um, the musical once. Well, Mm -hmm. he wrote the movie. movie. Uh, It was originally a movie. Then it became a, a Broadway show. Yeah. Anyway, so Glenn Hansard, who was just fantastic, and you should check out if you're not familiar with his music. Um, he, right after David Bowie died, he was in a hotel room because he was on tour, and he recorded, videoed himself doing a cover of the song Ashes to Ashes, and it is just wonderful. I really, it's just, I don't know. It's very nice. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to put a link to that because... I just love like it. it. So I was watching it again. I had my my um, I had many many repeated viewings two years ago when it first came out, and then with all of this Germany stuff that we've been mired in, I was kind of reacquainted with this whole Glenn Hansard so. doing David Bowie, and he did a lot of David Bowie covers. Um, as a result, later on, and there was this whole concert, but you know, you can get into that if you're wanting to go down that wormhole. But yeah. anyway, but this four minute Ashes to Ashes cover that he did just in his hotel room with his acoustic guitar is just a beautiful thing to behold. reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Our show notes can be found at Teaching Music, Tanya's Kodai Aspiring Blog. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. It really helps others find this podcast. 
And in our next episode, we will discuss chapters four through six of World Music Pedagogy Volume 2 by Christopher Roberts and Amy Beagle. Make sure you join us. That'll be out on July 5th. And until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking. I am talking about this and then I'm thinking about like the chic and the um uh cool in the gang uh recorder pieces right. so <laughs> you used like pop music I have that you like exactly but that's okay because I have fantastic taste well, you do Tanya <laughs> and your students would agree with you <laughs>